0: Our Father and our God, we just even now again come into thy holy presence, and we thank thee, Lord, that we do not come upon any merits or any righteousness of our own, but we come upon the righteousness of Christ and upon his merit and upon that and through that precious shed blood that we've been singing about. We do rejoice tonight that we can come to a God in heaven and we can even plead our petitions that we can come and we can leave our wants and our worries before the God who does hear and who answers prayer. I think that Christ is in the glory tonight that he's at the right hand of the father as our great intercessor, as our advocate. I think the word of God says we do have an advocate with the father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And what a privilege and what a thrilling thought it is tonight to know that we have Christ in heaven who's praying for us. And Lord, we just even leave the many needs before thee tonight with regard to this service we pray particularly now as the the gospel is proclaimed that you will give help to me again, Lord, that you would fill me afresh with thy Holy Ghost, that you will take away any thoughts of self or any thoughts of pride, even in my own heart, and you would even just crucify those things. And Lord, you'll just take me up and use me as that instrument, as that mouthpiece to show forth the Savior, that he would be uplifted even tonight. And men and women and children will be drawn unto him. We do pray for all who have gathered tonight and all who listen online, that you'll even just again prepare their hearts, that they'll be ready to receive thy word. And Lord, it will even speak to hearts. It will stir up the conscience, Lord. It will give no rest even to those tonight who are not saved. And you'll speak on even through the word of God. For it's in Jesus' name we would ask these things. Amen. I would have gotten away with it, if it weren't for you meddling kids. If you were born after the year 1969, or if you have any children or grandchildren, you might be familiar with the statement or the phrase that I've just used. I say that because I don't know how you spent your childhood, but me, every Saturday morning it was the same Rushing down the stairs as quickly as I could got the breakfast in to me because I didn't want to miss my favorite children's cartoon, which was Scooby-Doo. You're not familiar tonight with that cartoon. Let me give you the basic premise. It's very simple. You have four teenagers from California. You have Fred, you have Velma, you have Daphne and Shaggy. And along with their great Dane called Scooby-Doo. They would travel around America and they would solve all sorts of weird and wonderful mysteries. And every episode had ended in the same way. The criminal was caught and they would have used this catchphrase, I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. Didn't matter who the villain was, what they looked like, whether male or female, it was always the same. And whenever I thought about that statement or that catchphrase this week, and you're maybe thinking to yourself, well, what is he doing with these weeks, thinking about these things, but I thought through that catchphrase and got me thinking a little bit more about the similarities that we have in society today. Because much of the world, much of society, they will use similar language. They might use the same words, but the similar sort of phraseology. And why do I say that? Well, I say that because when something goes wrong, They try to hide their mistakes in an attempt to get away with it. And again, I'm going to speak from experience tonight. You can't get in trouble that way because I'll bring it back to my childhood once more. I was a mischievous kid, let's say that. And no matter how many times my mum told me not to be playing football in the house, I still managed to do it anyway. And you know what you're like as a child. You think you're going to be the next big thing, and some scout's going to be in your house, and he's going to pick you up, and he's going to sign you. And I remember one day a football came across, and I hit it. What a volley. And I thought, this is great. Smashed the mum's vase. Utter panic. I'm dead. Mum is going to go through me. And so what did I do? I got rid of the evidence, of course, and I hoped that she wouldn't notice but of course she noticed, didn't she? And then what did I do? Well, what do you do? You blame your younger brother, your younger sister. It was them, Mum, it wasn't me. But again, the truth always comes out because it, it does. You can only get away with it for so long. And you know, my previous attempt to cover up those things, it resulted in a more severe punishment. I was grounded. And I wasn't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo for a month. And I was devastated as a little boy. You take all of that tonight and what I've said with respect to the covering up, and we find exactly the same thing with respect to the covering up of a person's sin. We read about it here in the book of Proverbs. Look with me at verse 13, because that's going to be our text this evening. It says, "'He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, "'but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. "'And yet unlike when I was punished for a month, "'when it comes to the covering of sin, "'the penalty is so much more severe.' you cover up your sin and you die in that same way, then the punishment for that is eternal punishment in hell. That's what the Bible says. Tonight's the words that are found in verse 13 of chapter 28 here that I want to consider with you. And I want to ask you a very simple question, and it's really in the text. It's, are you covering or have you confessed? That's the question tonight. Are you covering or have you confessed? And there are three very simple thoughts that come and flow out of this verse 13. First thing I want you to see with me is the foolishness that is to be evaded. The foolishness that is to be evaded, because look at how verse 13 begins. It says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. And that word covereth here, it has a range of different meanings. It can mean to conceal something. It can mean to hide something or to spread something over. And you think the night of the opening of a new building or maybe a a plaque's been put up or a statue has been erected to commemorate a special event, what happens? They put a tarp, they put a big covering over it because they don't want the audience to see it before they designate a time. And you what is it here in verse 13 that is being covered up? It is the covering up of sin. And not only is it the covering up of sin, but the word is used here and is expressed in such a way as to show you that it is something that is intentional In other words, there's considerable effort made by that individual to cover and actively try to hide their sin. shouldn't be surprised even to hear such statements because it's been like that right from the very beginning. You turn with me tonight to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, please, and you'll know, of course, the portion very well. Genesis chapter 3. And in here, of course, the devil comes in the form of a serpent. He comes to tempt Eve into eating the tree, or from the tree which God had forbidden. And a lengthy conversation ensues between the two, and eventually Eve goes into the temptation, and she eats the fruit. And then she gives the fruit to Adam, and he proceeds to eat also. But look what follows in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis chapter 3. Because not only do they try to cover their sin, but they try to hide from God. And verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the gardens tried to hide from God and of course God cries out where art thou it didn't work and so when that didn't work they started to point the finger at one another because look at verse 12 and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to be with me she gave me of the tree and I did eat and the Lord God said unto the woman what is this that thou hast done and the woman said the serpent beguiled me and I did eat See, whenever a person is caught in the act of their sin, you will find that often, rather than trying to own up to the fact of what they've done, they'll try to push the blame, they'll try to cover up that blame, or shift it onto somebody else. And in the example we're just considering here, you have Adam, and he blamed Eve. Eve, she blamed the devil, but you know what? Adam, he even blamed God. Look what it says in verse 12. The woman whom thou gavest to me, God, it's your fault. You gave me Eve, and because of that, she tempted me to sin. And again, it's like that in society, very often God gets the blame for our own personal sin. You turn over to the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. It's the same situation. And this time we have two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they're walking in a field together. And we read in verse 8 that Cain murders. Abel. But look at how Cain responds when God comes to hold him to account in verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, why are you asking me, God? Because how should I know where he is? I don't follow him around everywhere. I'm not his keeper. He's his own man. Of course, he knew fine rightly what he'd done, and God did as well. And He's coming to hold him to account. Very same thing in the Book of Genesis, chapter thirty-seven, the story of Joseph. His brothers selling him into slavery, and then what happens? How do they try and cover their sin? Well, they take a goat and they kill that goat. They dip Joseph's coat of many colours into that blood, and they send it back to the father, and makes it look like an animal has killed Joseph. But again, you read on in the book of Genesis and it comes out again. And in reality, nothing has changed since the very beginning because it's the same tonight. A person does something wrong and the immediate response is, well, how can I get out of this situation? How can I cover it up and leave it behind? I wonder if that describes anybody here tonight, anybody listening in tonight, because it would be true to say of you tonight that you're living a lie. And perhaps it's been the case for many years and you've been coming to this church and you've integrated yourself into the congregation here and you act like a Christian and you say all the things that a Christian should say and yet you know in your heart tonight that you're far from God. You've never trusted in the Lord. You've never repented of your sin. You've never put your faith in Him. If that describes you tonight in any way, I just want to say it to you in love to your soul that to live in such a way, it's utter madness. It is foolishness. Why is it foolishness? Well, for one reason, because God sees everything. God knows everything about every individual in this world, and nothing is hidden from the Lord. That's what it says in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 15 and verse 3. It says, "...the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding or watching the evil and the good." think of those familiar words in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 you learn them as children. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So how does the individual seek to conceal their sin tonight from God? Well, there are a number of thoughts I want to leave with you. First thing is they deny that they have any sin. And that's something again we see happening all the time Because how often is it that you confront an individual about their sin You show them the truth of scripture The Bible says yes of all have sinned there is none righteous All have come short of the glory of God And you tell them that in love to their soul And the response that comes back is what do you mean I live a good life and I do various things and I keep the law I don't cause any trouble Why are you wasting your time talking to me you should be out there talking to the real criminals. You should be going into the prisons, those people who rob, those people who cheat, those people who murder people. Those people need the gospel. I'm not like them. I'm not a sinner. What does the Word of God say about such things? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And again, maybe I'm speaking to somebody here tonight because up to the point tonight, you're in denial about your sin. The sin that we've all been born with. I don't preach tonight in some way to think I'm better than you. I was born with sin. There came a time in my life when I came to faith and and repented of my sin. But you're seeking to cover up that sin the best you can. And the reality is all you're doing is deceiving yourself because God sees your sin. He knows all about your sin. What was it that Moses said to those in Israel who were living that kind of lifestyle? Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. He said, be sure your sin will find you out. Can't hide your sin forever. It's eventually going to come out. There's denial of sin, but there's also justification of sin. That's another way people try to cut over the sin, try to cover it. What I mean here is that people will openly acknowledge that they have sinned in their lives. Yes, i have sinned. But they seek to justify that sin rather than accept it for what it is. It's condemning. Should look at that person. Look at that individual. And they're much worse than I am. And they make the excuse, well, everybody else is doing it. So what's the harm? What's the trouble? And I end up just speaking tonight to the unsaved because this is the attitude of believers at times also. Another so-called Christian is doing something that we know is contrary to the Word of God, and we think it's okay to do it as well. Well, they're Christians, they take the title Christian, and therefore I can do it as well. But we know fine well it's against God's Word. Yes, we might be able to justify it to ourselves, but it's impossible to justify it to a God who is perfectly holy and perfectly just and who sees all things. What about the redefining of sin? Put it another way, many seek to make their sin appear to be less bad than it actually is. In actual fact, you know, my sin is a good thing. You'll meet people and they'll say that, and maybe that's you again. What do we find the Word of God say about this? Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good. And good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this kind of behavior, it is rapidly increasing within society because what the Bible calls sin and evil and against God, against His Word, the world openly celebrates at every opportunity. And God's law is constantly being trampled upon, His authority is being usurped at every turn. And how can the believer find comfort despite such truths? We looked at it this morning, but again, tonight we see it. It's by understanding that no matter what is happening around us, God is still ruling, He is still reigning over His kingdom, and He will glorify His holiness and His justice by humbling, proud sinners. Another way that people try to cover their sin, it's by making light of that sin. And again, that's very common today. Oh, that's just a wee sin, isn't it? I'm not doing anybody any harm here, and God will be okay with that sin. As long as I don't do anything really, really bad, I'm going to be okay. But again, we find the opposite to be true when we come to God's Word. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Favour. And to mock here, it literally means to treat sin with contempt and to scorn at your sin. It's to think nothing of that sin. To so think nothing of the one who died on the cross for that sin. One final thought that I want to leave you with you on my first point. How do people try to cover their sin? Well, they are, are indifferent toward that sin. And what does it mean tonight to be indifferent be confronted by your sin and to be failed to be moved by it. So never give your sin a second thought. And it's that type of behavior that in some ways is the saddest and is the most difficult to deal with. You tell a person tonight that their sin will bring them to hell because God's word tells us that and what do they do? They shrug, shrug the shoulders. Who curse. I'm looking forward to going to hell. I don't care. To be indifferent with respect to your sin and to die in that same way. The Bible says will condemn your soul to hell, and that is something you need to care about. You die in your sin and you go to hell, there's no second chances. What does Proverbs chapter twenty eight and verse thirteen say about all the things I've just described? It says they will not prosper. They will not succeed. They will not accomplish what they've intended to. And when Solomon speaks about this prosperity here, he's not speaking about a physical prosperity, about financial gain. It's spiritual prosperity. What does it mean tonight to be spiritually prosperous? Well, it means to know Christ. It's to know you've been saved from your sins, that your sins are forgiven. It's to be guaranteed eternal life in heaven. That's spiritual prosperity. What will be the result tonight of those who are indifferent toward their sin? Well, again, the book of Proverbs gives the answer. What a wonderful book. There's so much wisdom, of course, a wise man wrote it. Proverbs 29 in verse one: "He that being often reprove, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and not without remedy." But to be without remedy tonight, it means to be broken forever. It means to be wounded without cure and to receive the eternal judgment of God. So whilst the sinner may get away with their sin and they may prosper in this world, there will come a day, there will come a time in their lives when that sin will catch up with them. And when will that day be? It will be when they stand before the Lord to give an account And if you stand before the Lord that day outside of Christ still in your sin, it will only be then that you will realize the utter folly and the utter foolishness of holding on to your sin. Your physical prospering you will realize can do nothing to help you on that day. And that's the sad reality tonight for those who are in hell. And you can be saved tonight through putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by doing what we're going to consider now in Proverbs chapter 28. See, so having considered here the fact that there's a foolishness is to be evaded, the second thing I want you to consider tonight is there's a forsaking that is essential. There's a forsaking that is essential. Look at verse 13 again. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Herein lies the right course of action to follow tonight. See, rather than trying to hide your sin from a God who sees all, Solomon calls on the unbeliever tonight to confess and to forsake their sin before a holy God. You see, herein lies the biblical doctrine of true repentance. What does it mean tonight to repent four things. Repentance means that you must agree with God regarding your sin. That's the first thing. Solomon says, but whoso confesseth. And the word confess, it is to openly acknowledge, and it is to declare your sin. And that was David's testimony. We read about it in Psalm 32 and verse 5. He said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess." My transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. See, not only is there an acknowledgement of sin, but that word confesseth here. It means to agree with another. And it's not speaking about agreeing with what man says tonight, but with what God says, particularly what he says in his word about sin. And what does the Bible have to say tonight about man's issue of sin? Again, we go to 1 John. 1 John 3 and verse 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. To confess sin tonight is to agree with what John says here. It's to realize that your sin will condemn you, that your sin will keep you out of heaven, unless it's dealt with. How can your sin be dealt with? Well, again, we find the answer in God's Word every time we need to come back to the Word of God. It's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God promises the forgiveness of sin tonight through confession of that sin. Not only does He say it will happen, but He guarantees it. Unlike the world tonight, when God promises to do something, He's incapable of going back on that promise to do anything but what He says in His word would be contrary to his very nature. We must agree with God regarding our sin, but there also needs to be a deep sorrowing over your sin. It's to see sin for what it is, offensive to a holy God, condemning, and' it's to be broken about that sin. Paul speaks about such in Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse ten. He says that the godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. And yet I want you to see tonight that it's not enough to simply make a confession about your sin. You read with many people in the Bible and they made a confession. But that's as far as it went. It was just mere words. And there was no true repentance. It was just to get them out of trouble to use language that's familiar to us. Think of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. He was confronted by Aaron and Moses about letting the children of Israel go. And listen to what he says here in Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. "'I have sinned this time. "'The Lord is righteous, "'and I and my people are wicked.'" But he only makes this confession in order that the Lord might stop the plagues that were destroying the land of Egypt. I say that because as soon as the Lord stops the plagues, what do we read happens? The same chapter, Exodus chapter 9, verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. Same with King Saul. You read all about King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 King, anointed. The people's king. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he disobeyed the command of God and he was rejected by God as king. But listen to what he says in that chapter, 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. I have sinned. Again, he makes confession. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words... Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Judas Iscariot was another. Betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And following that betrayal, Matthew 27, verse 4, you have it again. I have sinned. In that I have betrayed the innocent blood. See, when Pharaoh made the confession, he made it in order to get out of the situation he was in. King Saul wanted to be king again, he wanted to be accepted by God. Judas, remorse over what he'd done. But in each case, there was never any true repentance. There was never any godly sorrow in their heart. Never any brokenness about the sins they had committed. Maybe again, that's you tonight. You've been guilty of the same sort of attitude. It's easy to say the words, I'm sorry, and I've sinned. And it's easy to pray, isn't it? To offer up a prayer unto the Lord, and to use words. But I want to tell you the confession that is absent from a genuine sorrowing in your heart, it's just words. And words alone will never be enough to save your soul. Sadly, that's what many people are relying upon tonight to get to heaven. If I just say the right words, and if I just sound like I'm saying the right things, that'll be enough. And yet the truth is, unless you confess your sin, unless you're broken about your sin, you will never be saved. There also needs to be a forsaking of that sin. Solomon tells us that in Proverbs. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them. And that word forsake, it means to depart from it. Is to leave it behind and to completely abandon that thing. It's what Isaiah describes for us in Isaiah 55 in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Forsaking our sin, it's leaving behind and it's giving it up, but it's so much more than that as well because it's to forget about your sin in the sense that you have no desire for that sin anymore. That was David's desire in Psalm 51 and verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me and you can't manufacture that yourself. You can't take those desires away, but the God of heaven, he is able to do that. He's able to give you new desires. He's able to give you a new heart. See, one of the saddest things tonight, you speak to many people about the matter of their sin, and they'll tell you that they want to go to heaven. Of course I want to go to heaven when I die, but I also want to hold on to my sin. Will you continue to desire your sin more than Jesus Christ? And the Bible says that heaven will never be your home. Having done these three things, you also need to then hate your sin. Why? Well, for one, because the Lord hates sin. But More than that, because of what your sin has done, caused the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross and to suffer unimaginable agonies, to have God's wrath poured out upon him. And because of that, You should hate that sin. We've seen tonight there's a foolishness that is to be evaded. There's a forsaking that is essential. But very quickly, I want you to see there's a forgiveness that is to be experienced. Because look at how verse 13 ends. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And that word mercy, it means to love something deeply. It's to have compassion over something and a heartfelt concern for that thing. And who is such compassion given to tonight? It's to those who would confess, and it's to those who would forsake their sin. And those two things, they're essential for the forgiveness of sin. But it's equally true to say that the basis of such mercy is grounded upon something else. It's upon the satisfaction that the Savior has made. Through his atoning death on the cross, Jesus Christ, he took that sin upon himself. He shed his blood so that all who would seek him in repentance and faith would have mercy, they would have pardon, and they would have forgiveness of sin. And that's the only basis by which anybody can stand before the Lord in a right state. What is the result of self satisfaction? Borrow the words of the psalmist, Psalm 85 in verse 2, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of my people, thou hast covered all their sin. See, how does God's covering differ from man's covering tonight? I think that Harry Ironside sums it up perfectly. Listen to what he says. He says, when a man attempts to cover his own sin, he adds to the dreadful list. For he is refusing to obey the command that goes out to all men everywhere calling them to repent. But when God covers sin, it is done effectually and perfectly and will never be interfered with for eternity. And what does such a truth mean tonight for the Christian? It means that whilst we still sin every single day and we will continue to do so until the Lord takes us home That our sin will never condemn us because Jesus Christ has paid for all sin, past, present, and future. It's covered under the blood. They've been given this covering, this robe of righteousness. But what about you tonight, without Jesus Christ? What does it mean for you? Well, it means that whilst you still live in unconfessed sin, that there's mercy and forgiveness for you tonight as well. You can have this covering. How can you have this covering? How can you receive mercy and forgiveness? It's very simple. It's by avoiding what is said in the first half of this text tonight and is doing what is said in the second half. It's by never covering your sin, but it's by confessing and forsaking your sin before a holy God who is able to forgive and to cover your sin. If you're not saved tonight, that is the reality that you need to get into your head and into your heart. Try as you may, you can never cover over your sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. But there's forgiveness tonight. There's mercy. And it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God write that word upon your hearts tonight.